Well, you're listening to Darling Street Stories, where I get to talk with members of our church community. We talk about life, we talk about faith, we talk about some of the challenges and the joys of being a follower of Jesus. We hope and pray that this will be profoundly encouraging to you and help you to connect with God and learn to live a truly great life. Well, it's my great pleasure this morning to talk to Anne van Furen. Anne, lovely to have you sharing your story. Um, Let's start by maybe giving us a bit of background about your family. What's your relational context? Um, I'm 67 and I grew up in New Zealand, so I was a 1950s child uh, in a New Zealand suburb of Wellington. I grew up uh, in a a very good family, a very strict Catholic mother. So myself and my three sisters, we all went to Catholic schools and that was the era of the nuns who we were terrified of. Mm. And uh, we moved a little bit in my childhood. My father worked in the government tourists. So, um, But my initial years were in Upper Hutt in Wellington. And my mum was quite a strict Catholic. Um, She thought... Uh, that the priest could do no wrong. And my sisters and I later in life have had many very funny conversations around that. Um, my mum was actually such a strong Catholic that she used to fill in for the housekeeper at the local parish priest if he if she went on holiday. So she would rush down the hill with cream sponges and slices and such was the life of the local parish priests. So... Uh, yeah, I've got three sisters and I'm the second and uh, we're very close, uh, particularly as we get older. We really try and get together twice a year and I've just recently had a sister reunion in New Zealand in between COVID scares. Um, I did my nursing training at Dunedin School of Nursing and then decided to be a midwife. So I travelled to England with my best friend and we went to Gloucester And I did um, my midwifery in England in the 70s, which was a great time to be in Mm. England and also to have the capacity to travel to Europe easily. Uh, I did work uh, initially in the national health, so we got paid an absolute pittance, but in between we'd do some agency work so we could afford to have a weekend in France or something similar. So it was on on, uh, one of those weekend trips that I met my South African husband. Mm. Um, Fires was, uh, his nickname was Fires because his von Furen means like fire. Uh, He was a very badly behaved uh, South African Afrikaner. So his his first language was Afrikaans. And uh, we met at the beer festival in Germany and uh, where there were many badly behaved young people and uh, we just, I I think we just clicked immediately. Uh, You know, I just knew this was a person, which is quite strange. Wow, yeah. Um, But we were both working in London at the time. I was working at the Hammersmith Hospital in intensive care of the newborn and Chris was a dentist. So, um, yes, we were in relationship then and uh, we were in London for a number of years. Uh, Did quite a lot of travel. The 70s was a great time to be hanging out in London, and then we came to Australia in the 80s. 
And that decision really was based on the fact that Chris thought New Zealand was a bit like uh, Pacific Island and it was at the ends of the earth, which it sort of is, but not exactly. And I wasn't keen on living in South Africa. I felt I couldn't um, adjust to the security issues and the lack of freedom and the continual angst about are you safe. So we came to Sydney. We did love it. Uh, I remember when we first got here, the blue skies and the tan skin and the bright coloured shorts that everybody wore was amazing after London. Yeah. It, was, it was just impressive. So we settled here and our three sons were born here and uh, they're now, two of them are in their 30s, one in late 20s and they're all Australian and uh, they're all living quite close by at the moment, yeah. which is fairly extraordinary, um, but a blessing yeah. too. That's lovely. And there's a three grandchildren. Three grandkids. Yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and at what at what point along the way did your own faith sort of well, what's been your faith journey in all of that? What's been your own experience of God along the way? Well, when I reflect uh, on my upbringing as a Catholic child, uh, we spent a lot of time in church, a lot of time on uh, our knees um, in the cathedral at Dunedin. But I never connected with mm. God. Um, I really didn't feel that I had any knowledge about Jesus. And I certainly didn't hear messages of love and acceptance. And at the age of 17, I had to go and live in the nurse's home to do my nursing training. And I told my mother I would not be back um, attending church, that I didn't see any benefit and I didn't like the teaching yeah. and I particularly didn't um, embrace the role of the Pope in Catholicism. Right. So then I didn't set foot in a church till I was about 30 okay. and uh, Chris and I had had two boys by then, uh, they were young and uh, we had a neighbour that invited us to the carol service at a church in Miranda. And we thought that would be a nice thing to do. Yeah. And sitting in that church, I just realised that was what was missing in my life. Wow. And it was an immediate connection. Wow. I always felt there was a bit of a hole. And, you know, we pro were professional people. We had a great house. We had a great community. Um, no issues with our kids. Yeah. Uh, but there was definitely a hole. So uh, we connected immediately um, at St Luke's and the irony of it is that the person who really connected us in was Paul Perini wow. who is currently yeah. now um, a, a minister here. Isn't that wonderful? And so that's that's pretty special yeah. I think. So he pulled us into the St Luke's community and I was quite active in the community. I did quite a bit in ministry and I made some wonderful friends and those people are still close friends. Yeah. Significant. And it, it just took someone to invite you to a carol service. It was, which seems a bit ridiculous because, yeah. you know, you always think, oh, people won't come. or yeah. But I think it's always worth uh, yeah. throwing that out there. And I think in particular Christmas, Easter, so some significant yeah. times that people might, especially if they've been churchgoers before, might realise that it's something they could look at again. Yeah. And just to be embraced by the church community and not yeah. feel judged. And to me, uh, I was already working um, on a counselling line then. And 
the thing is that I discovered the acceptance and love of Jesus and it made so much psychological sense wow, to me. Right. That is actually what what drew me back into Christianity, um, hmm. that that we're all accepted, that we're loved and, and forgiveness is a key message because I was working with so many people who were ruining their lives with bitterness and lack of forgiveness. Yeah. It's wonderful when you discover that everything that we're looking for in all kinds of things, including therapy and counselling, you go, actually, all that treasure is there in Jesus and in historic Christianity if we can just unpack it and help people discover it, right? That's right. And and not have that key message covered by church rules and laws. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we get in the way of the message often, don't we? I think so. Institutional organized religion can mm-hmm. yeah, be a poor set of clothing for the gospel. Yeah. I think that's why I enjoy coming to church here because it, um, it sort of has a relaxed, liberal feel, and you definitely have a good understanding of the psychology of people. And I think that message um, mixed with biblical messages is, is very, it's very creative, it's very strong, and it's very effective. Oh, that's very kind. Well, it's a just makes it so obvious to me, really, that um, yeah, if Christianity's true, it's true in all parts of our lives, and we've just got to help all of us see that and embrace it. Um, what do you think are the most important lessons that you've learned in your journey of faith? Uh, faith is a strange concept, isn't it? Um, I still find it hard to explain to family and friends. Um, I talked about my faith with my sisters on my last visit, actually, and none of them are churchgoers, and two two of them are very closed to any discussion on it because of their experience as Catholic childhood. Yeah. Um, to me, I just have an innate conviction about God and... I feel that that thread has given me enormous resilience in my life. And I'm very grateful that I don't question it. I don't have to answer complex questions. I just have this very strong conviction that it is true. And if there's aspects of it I can't explain, I don't care. Um, And it's helped me through difficult Mm. times in my life. And... When people ask me where I've got my resilience and strength from, I do say it comes from God. Yeah, It comes from the fact that I don't have to concentrate on disastrous day-to-day events or really stressful events that have happened that I can see that long-term there is a plan or a design. Yeah, which is fascinating because you are one of the most extraordinarily positive and resilient and outward-looking people I think I've met. I don't know if people have said that to you, but it's remarkable what you, who you are and what you bring. Uh, and your faith is a part, like it's core to all of that, isn't it? It is core. Yeah. And, and I think it does give you an optimism. And I am, I mean, I work, uh, I still work in the community. Mm. I'm one of the older workers in my organisation. But uh, I work um, with families, with mothers that aren't coping with new babies, and I feel I still have a lot to offer. And I love turning a situation around where a mother is is really just enduring motherhood to when she actually embraces it and 
enjoys it. So I've worked a lot with families and I love to see um, a new mother build up some strength and resilience and often at times sharing your own story can be enormously helpful um, to help other people in their struggles. And, you know, it, that's where it comes from for me. Yeah. It, I have a professional training um, and I have a great organisation that I work with, but my innate resilience comes from God. Yeah. So if you had to give a young mother some advice, if you were speaking, if you had, what would you say if you were speaking to, we've got a church with a whole bunch of young families in and we have. Be listening to this and others will listen to it. What would you say if you had one bit of advice to a young mum, what would you say? Um, I would say just uh, there's no such thing as a perfect mum and to be flexible and to be able to roll with the punches because that's what life is like. And there will always be times that are difficult and you will get out of it. And to just seek support uh, in your local community, Mm -hmm. um, our local church, uh, the families are very supportive of each other and that's a true blessing. Um, And that's been led by our church community, so it works very well. I, the other thing I always, one of the things I just as you were talking, I thought it go, it also it goes by very quickly. Those early years feel like you'll never get out of them, but you know, from uh, the vantage point of our great years, we look back and you go, "Gosh, that was it was just a blip, wasn't it?" It's nothing. It's nothing. And when you see someone angsting over a twelve-week-old baby, and you just think, "Well, very soon that baby will be one year, and we'll be sleeping through the night." Yeah. And even if you think about the angst that people place on themselves around HSC years yep. and things, it's it's nuts, really. It's in the long term, it makes very little difference. Yeah, that's it. Mm. Uh, and so, life isn't always easy in every dimension, including our faith. What have been some of the biggest challenges you've experienced in your uh, journey of faith as a follower of Jesus, as a mum, as a wife, as a professional? Um, I suppose one of the big, there have been many challenges, any family has challenges Mm. and and I guess over the years I've been working with families, everybody has stuff and everybody has baggage and um, I just don't believe that nobody doesn't have it. So... um, (laughs) My what do you mean? We're not all perfect? <laughs> no, not, not even no, in church. No perfect. Gosh, come on, Anne. <laughs> so I think one of the there's been a few challenges, but one of the big ones was my eldest son um, had been working in South Africa, and he struggled to find a place to work out what he wanted to do in life. And my husband suggested a year in Africa would do mm. the trick. Yep, that's it. So he would understand how life in Australia was incredible and so blessed. So anyway, Christian was dispatched to South Africa and when he returned, he actually got really sick and after um, a hospital admission, he was diagnosed with drug-resistant tuberculosis and that uh, in Australia was unheard of to see a young Anglo man with drug-resistant tuberculosis. They saw it in elderly refugees from Vietnam and places like that and initially he was treated for ordinary tuberculosis and everyone was pretty optimistic but it became clear that that was just not working and so he ended up 
being in the isolation unit in Sydney Hospital for six months. Wow. And that was really strict isolation. It was one room with the air control vents and very few visitors were allowed. And when we visited, we had to gown up and mask up. And for Christian, that was uh, life-changing. And he... He actually showed me a great resilience, which I was so proud of because he was literally taking handfuls of pills every day. He thought that he would never be able to have children. Um, He was eventually discharged. And the interesting thing over that time is that my youngest son and I went to a healing service in St Andrews because Christian's diagnosis wasn't good and they weren't managing to get on top of the hole in his lung. And... Carol and I decided to go to St Andrew's Healing Service and we did the service and prayed and we felt quite strongly that there was an impact that Mm. night, both of us. And then the next day, uh, in the next few days, they found that that, that the hole was closing and that the treatment was working. And we were very grateful um, for the prayer that had been placed on him but also for the incredible medical system yeah. of Australia. Like, Medicare is incredible. Yeah. So Christian changed his life after that time. Mm. He actually became a little bit famous. He became the um, the sick rapper, the internet sensation, and he changed the whole direction of his life yeah. and started working with his brother and restored his natural creativity. Yeah. So, and I suppose the second biggest challenge was... Um, Chris getting cancer yeah. and he was diagnosed uh, with a very grade four bowel cancer that really wasn't treatable and up to that time he'd been very fit and well. Mm-hmm. He was a nutcase Chris, you've, <laughs> you've met him. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> he was a classic South African Africana, always barbecuing, enjoyed his red wine and beer and always camping and adventures always racing fast boats and it's a miracle he survived yeah. to the age he did but anyway we embarked on a um a treatment at chris o'brien lifehouse again we had not so long ago moved to this area mm. and there we were with that incredible hospital around the corner so uh, he threw everything out at chemo you know he c- couldn't have surgery it was too far for surgery so He actually survived 20 months that the oncologist said he would probably survive. So, um, and I guess in that time my nursing training was enormously helpful. Mm. Um, My boys were fantastic. Um, My middle son, who doesn't have children, was around a lot. He spent a lot of time with his father. And his comments on that would be that he healed rifts that he had with his father, disagreements, different ways of thinking. He said there was nothing left, that they had resolved everything. Um, So I guess I'm grateful for the time that we had. Um, Not to say that Chris left me in a good position because he was very chaotic (laughs) and he did crazy things like Mm. buying a Ferrari, you know, four Mm. months before he died. And they were all sort of things that I guess he... he never thought he was going to die. Yeah. He yep. he struggled to get to that place, but mm. he was um, a strong believer in God. Yeah. And I know that you visited him. Um, and to me, that was an enormous comfort. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I had huge battles afterwards. I, I had skills um, in finance and legal issues that I'd never learned before. And I suppose to me that 
has given me some skills that I've shared since with other widows. Yeah. Um, I work, my volunteer team are mostly middle-aged women, a lot of them are my age, and a number of them have been put in the same position, yeah. and um, I have been in a place where I can share that oh. uh, information, and that's a great blessing, I think. Yeah. That's a great blessing. And, and also to share the fact that I have managed it because of my belief in God. Yeah, I think I could have easily gone under in a mm. screaming heap Cool. Not to say that that's wrong, because some people have yeah. to go under the duvet in, in a screaming yeah. heap, but I think it's it's been it's been a blessing, and I've come out of it, and I still feel strong. And, um, you know, i not in a position that I might have envisaged 10 years ago. Mm. We probably would be doing the Grey Nomad trip around Australia. But that's okay, yeah. because I don't think Chris would have aged well, to be honest. I think... <laughs> <laughs> I think he would not have embraced old age. The, the no. indignities and slowing down of old age. No, I can't see him. Yeah, uh, yeah. and he died at home. And yeah. um, we're in, in a position in the part of the city we lived that we had a wonderful palliative care team. Yeah. And I'm so aware that a lot of people don't have that. And it meant that he didn't have to be in hospital. And that was remarkable. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, going back to what I said before, your resilience and I mean I just think walking alongside of you and, and watching over these last few years just the the light and the love and the strength of Jesus just shines through you and it's quite remarkable I don't know if others and, and it's and it's not easy and it doesn't mean it hasn't been awful and painful but oh my goodness to see the way you have processed and dealt with this and resolutely not become self-centered like you're just you're always thinking about others and giving and serving. Mm-hmm. It's which seems to me a bit of the key, right? Like there's a like we're made to serve, and you embody that so magnificently. I do. I do embrace serving others. Yeah. Um, a psychologist might say it was avoidance. <laughs> <laughs> well, they might say a lot of things. I don't know. But it w- certainly worked, it worked for me. For you, and yeah. and after Chris died, I continued to work. And, you know, some people would say, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. You should take time off. But actually it allowed me to focus my brain in another area. And um, and I continued and I still continue. And I love serving in this church because mm. I love to see the growth and the families and the different crazy mix of people we have at Darling Street. <laughs> I just, I love it. I yeah. love my Sundays. Yeah. And I'm very happy to come early and leave late to help that happen. It's great. Well, if you're listening and you ever want to spend some quality time with Anne, just come along 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning and help, come help, help her put out chairs and get the church set up because she's there every Sunday, which is quite remarkable. Uh, so what do you, when you think about our church family, what do you appreciate the most about it? What do you really love about us? I just love the openness and acceptance of everybody. Um, I've been in other churches before and that has not been quite the same feel. Um, I honestly feel that anybody in any situation could walk into our church and not feel judged. I think they can feel comfortable. I've heard this from other newcomers that they just immediately felt a sense of love. Mm. Um, And I think that's, it's critical. Yeah. It's critical. And, 
it's got a casual approach, which I think uh, most people now embrace. They don't want to have a rigidity to a service. Um, that doesn't really work, for, especially for a lot of young people. Yeah. And as you, as you look ahead, not just for church but for your life, what are you looking forward to as you, as you look forward? Um, pretty much more of the same, I think. Yeah. Um, I look, who knows, life is crazy. Yeah. Um, I was in New Zealand a few weeks ago and had a wonderful time with old nursing friends and my sisters and family. But we're all very aware that life is so changeable. I have a sister in Christchurch who went through the earthquakes. Wow. They were flooded last week. Um, I have friends stuck in Melbourne. I think life is unpredictable. And I would just hope that I remain in a good place where I can be effective in what I do and have family close by. Yeah. I mean, my boys are terrific. Love them to death. They really are mm. tremendous mm. boys. Yeah, you must be very proud. And yes, you and Chris did a great job yeah. parenting. It's amazing when our kids turn out well. Well, A, when they're boys, <laughs> when they survive to adulthood, sometimes you think, how did that happen? I know. I never thought Christian would survive. That was really... <laughs> yes, no, they're lovely. They're all very different. Their personalities yeah. are hugely different. And as you know, two of them are actually coming to church. Yeah. Yeah, so it's wonderful. It's fantastic. Mm. Well, thank you so much for your vulnerability and your honesty and sharing your story. And it's just an absolute joy to be part of this family with you. And I look forward to many more years of seeing what God does amongst mm. us in this community. Thank you. Thank you, Mark.